Hello and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. Today we're going to talk about big boy stuff. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't we tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? <laughs> on this podcast, we talk about games, but sometimes we just have to take a break to go deep into the Fast and Furious. <laughs> this is maybe the furthest to field outside of like the April Fool's episode. That we've ever got. Like, Fast and Furious has literally nothing to do with video games, right? Like, you can at least say that, like, video games and comic book movies have some, like, shared vibes of, like, nerd stuff. But this is, like, the opposite of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I will... So, Vin Diesel did go on stage once at the Game Awards to, like, promote the Fast and the Furious video game that looked like it was from 10 years ago. But, yeah. Basically... This is this is. Yeah, I would love a good Fast and Furious video game. That would be like my my jam. Anyway, so yeah, we're at fast. We're at fast five. Uh, we better fastly five our way to the to, to nine soon enough because the the new movie comes out this year. Um, but yes, anyway, Fast Five, directed by Justin Lin, comes out in 2011. I want to say. Let's see, Fast Five. Yeah, 2011. What? Yeah, 2011, so a year before. Uh, I, I like to benchmark these around the superhero movies of the time because I actually think that that's, like, a really interesting thing. Um, I have a greater theory about this that we can maybe, like, talk about a little bit later. But So it comes out in 2011, a year before Avengers, um, two years Three years after Band The Dark Knight, which I think Three is... Three years after The Dark Knight, yeah. Which I think is specifically relevant, which maybe we'll bring up in the spoiler section. Oh, you think it's specifically relevant? There's one scene. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about it, I guess. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Because um, <laughs> we're, we're avoiding spoilers for this 12-year-old Yeah, because we are avoiding... I I don't know that it's... When I, when I, I like, just finished watching the movie, when I got into the voice call to start the podcast with Mango, and I was, like, I was, like, grinning ear to ear. I was laughing. I love... I, it's, it's so hard for me to contain. I love this movie. I love every second of watching this film. Um, and, uh, you know, it is just the, it, uh, when, when a lot of people talk about when the Fast and Furious movies got good, quote unquote, got good, right? Where they weren't just those dumb car movies. This is the one that most people point to. And most of the popular conception of what the Fast and Furious movies are starts here, right? Um, which I think makes it kind of this inflection point, um, if the first four movies were just kind of flailing around, trying to figure out something kind of neat and interesting to do, Fast Five is when they were like, oh, I got it. I fucking got it. We're doing, we're doing it. Um, so, so yeah, that, I, 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 I have a lot to say about Fast Five, but I'm sure we, we, we can get there. What, what did you, what, what's your top level? Yeah. So, you know, you said like, this is when it stopped being just dumb car movies and it's like, what, to replace it with like dumb everything else movies? Cause like, this is not <laughs> like a smart movie, right? Like, um, and it's fine. Like it is fun. I will agree with you. Um, the other, the other kind of like surprise intro I was going to go with was like Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, Favela Team Deathmatch, the movie. Because that's like, a th like literally that, that like happens in the middle of this movie. Um, yep. uh, but um, I, I still, I enjoyed this movie probably more than, I definitely enjoyed it more than four. I still think I like three better. 
Um, Whoa, that is insane to me. What, what a take. Tokyo Drift? Yeah. I mean, I, they, I, they, well, I, like Tokyo Drift is well regarded, but the Fast and Furious movies are not all that similar to something like, we talked about this, like Star Wars. People have radically different Star Wars rankings for their favorite right. Star Wars movies, right? You know, for instance, I, Revenge of the Sith is my favorite Star Wars movie. Um and and I think that's a defensible position. I think a lot of people have different sorts of defensible positions around. Oh, are you do you like Empire? Do you like you know the original Star Wars: The New Hope? Um, you know, people who get on board for the sort of uh, you know Vader, Luke, Emperor stuff in Episode Six. People who get on board for prequel stuff. People who get on board for sequel stuff. Right, like all the all this stuff. Right, you can you can kind of make a bunch of different arguments about everything basically except for Rise of Skywalker. Right. Uh, with the Fast and Furious movies, I don't know a single person who does not think that Fast Five is their favorite. Uh, just because, like, it it brings everything into... It's like, it's like the satisfaction of, like... I don't even how what what's the it of just of it all coming together right of all of this shit that got set up in these first four movies set up I I, I should say set up I was, I was not gonna intentionally say. set up but like bringing all of that in and then also kind of really introducing and and kind of drilling down on this theme of family um, and this kind of goofy sincerity that the movies sort of fly on right like this is the stuff of. Fast and Furious legend, I guess. Um, so it's interesting that you'd say Tokyo Drift is better. Yeah, so I, I think part of it is, like, part of it might be that, like, I know that there's, like, another six, what, movies, you know? <laughs> True. <laughs> moving forward, right? Like, um, so, like, maybe that's just it, right? Like, that, like, you know, I see what this has spawned, and I can't imagine that this is the, the like, the best of them. Right, like, because it's not like so. It is nuts, but it's not as nuts as the stuff as I've seen in like the trailers for like I think it was Fast Nine, where like the Rock is like pulling a submarine out of the ice or whatever. Okay, yeah, yeah, that is Fast. That is Fast Eight, Fate of the Furious. Fate, <laughs> Fate of the Furious. <laughs> yeah, where well, the submarine is literally redirecting torpedoes on an ice sheet uh, because they're being chased by a nuclear sub. So. Yeah. You got me there. So, <laughs> right? so it, it doesn't have, like, that level of bombast. And at the same time, it doesn't have kind of, like... Like, what I liked about Tokyo Drift was, like, there was some real racing stuff in there, right? Mm. And there was some, like... There was some, like, pretty good arcing stuff in here. This movie is just, like, all dumb action all the time. And that's fine. I enjoyed it. I definitely thought it was the second... My second favorite of of the five that we've seen so far. But, like... <laughs> I've also never heard someone go Tokyo Drift at real racing. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is the greatest. Okay. Yes, you are you are correct. The racing is basically just got well, so we should maybe enter spoilers, right? Before yeah, spoilers right? spoilers for this 12 year old movie. Spoilers, spoilers for, for all for this movie. Spoilers for the five oh. previous movies yeah. as well before we <laughs> Okay, so yes, famously in Fast Five, everybody always talks about this. There is a bit 
where they go, we're gonna need some, we're gonna need some tough cars if we're gonna pull off this heist. And then, you know, Dom goes, I know just where to go. And he goes to street race. There's this setup with another guy where they're like racing for pink slips, which is like a Fast and Furious tradition. The guy is like, oh, Dominic, you, you think I wouldn't know Dominic Toretto? Dominic Toretto's car would be like a great trophy in my trophy case. And then you hear like some revving engines and then it smash cuts to them just driving back into the garage with that guy's car like they just it, the 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 racing is so secondary that they've just off-screened it it's not even it's not even worth it now that is bandied about but i will say there is a race in this movie which is the character driven race of uh it's roman han dom and brian are all in police cars and they yeah. do a quarter mile in the middle of the night on this on the streets of Rio. That that is that like is a race, but it's not an action scene race. So I do I do see I do see one. No, yeah, yeah. No, and, and honestly, that I liked that race in particular just because like oh they are all in the same car. This is a by definition a fair race, right? Yep. Like you know it's it's all about their driver skill. It's not about like you know the fact that you know Dominic's been working on his car for twenty five years. Right, mm -hmm. so I thought I thought that was neat. Um, this movie maybe also since we're in the spoiler section, also maybe rubbed me the wrong way because like this is the only, literally the only movie that I can think of, the only series that I can think of that like pitches you a heist movie and then says, "Nope, we're gonna fucking ram a truck through the wall." <laughs> That's the fucking movie now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love I love a lot of this stuff that happens. I, Actually, I specifically really love the train stuff. The train stuff is fake. Do you know about the train scene? Have you have you heard this story about the train scene? The first? This was like 10 years ago. I, well, it would have been 10 years ago because when the movie came out. But this like made the rounds on like Twitter and stuff. What, what okay, so to tell this story, the, the part in the movie where they drive the truck into the train, that was an accident. They had five million dollars to do this shot, and the shot was the truck was supposed to go over the uh, off a ramp and over the train, but they accidentally drove the truck off the ramp and into the train, and then which is a which is cool. It's a real stunt, right? This is one right. of the big things about the movie. A lot of real stunt work is getting done here um, compared to what I complained about a lot in, in CG. Yeah. The, the previous one, which was a lot of CGI, right? Uh, so, But they accidentally drove the truck into the train. So they rewrote the script and reshot a bunch of the action scene to instead be about the truck actually accidentally gets lodged into the train. And that's like the action secrets. This made, this is part of like the mythos, right? Um, and why people are like on board with the Fast and Furious like franchise, right? This, this focus on like practical stunt works, like a lot of the stuff with the safe was sort of stunt. Uh, th th there's a lot of mix there, right? Because um, they're not driving around real cityscapes a lot of the time. There's, like, a lot of, like, background stuff that's all CGI'd in. But, like, the cars crashing into this massive safe, like, a lot of that was real. A lot of that was filmed with, with real cars doing real practical effects. And there's this sort of, like, love story for that that pops up in the in the wake of sort of um, Fast Five. But, uh, but, yeah, we are in the realm of we're just doing crazy action bullshit in these movies, and that's the that's that's how it's happening. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. One of the things that actually stuck out to me that, that kind of bothered me during that scene is, like, if they were, go like, if they were going to decide to steal the car. First of all, I don't quite understand. It didn't doesn't quite grok to me why they decided to steal the cars instead of 
like just do the job that they were supposed to be doing. Like maybe I missed that, but it didn't really make a lot of sense too. If you're going to do that, maybe don't have the first person that leaves the train, give away the, give away the game, right? It's like have her drive along with the convoy until everybody's in a car out of the, out of the train. Right. And like, I don't care that much. Um, like, you know, I'm not going to like criticize the movie for this. Right. Like, it's not me being like ding cinema sin. Right. This, yeah. is me, this is just me being like, like why? Right. Like, and again, I can forget it. I don't care, but it's like, what are we like? Like it's, it's obviously flimsy pretense to, 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 to jump into this stuff, but it's like, but, but at that point I kind of have to turn off my brain and just enjoy the action sequences. Right. I can't really like, interrogate it further, which is something that I thought with Tokyo Drift, at least I, I, I got a little bit more of there, right? Like, things make most, make a modicum of sense in that movie that they don't really make here. Um, well, so what else does it make sense, right? Like, the, the, the nature of the heist itself? Um, I'm assuming. So, the heist itself, the nature of the heist itself makes sense. Like, the moment they start pulling that fucking vault down the street, I'm like, that's not how physics work, right? Like, the physics decides to work at, like, the last minute when Dom jumps out of the car and the car gets, like, whipped around, like, by the other end of the flame, which is what it should have been happening this entire fucking time. I know really. that. I, I, <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, like, fucking just, like, I'm also, like, as, like, the, this, like, final scene is happening, it's like, the, are these guys supposed to be the good guys? Like, they have wrecked large portions of downtown Rio and probably killed several people, <laughs> several innocent people. Hey, they're criminals, okay? But they've got heart, all right? They care about family, all right? <laughs> there's, a, there's a shot where, like, the cable, like, cuts off the top of a, a cop car, which is a cool thing, but it also implies that, like, Dominic decapitates a police officer with a car, with, with like that cable. Listen, he's a corrupt police officer, Mango. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I I do think that there is a certain level of that when it comes to when it comes to the movie, right? Um, you know, obviously, the like, I don't think the politics would make a lot of sense in any of this. Um, when oh, it comes yeah. to right, like the the Rock decides that he is going to get revenge and ram his like, you know. Create an international incident by ramming his, like, presumably government, you know, government-made tough truck into the side of a Brazilian police headquarters to, to like, help some near yeah, like, yes, steal a vault and, and, and we, let the criminals go for 24 hours. As, like... Because yeah. I remember the first time I saw this, I was like, oh, this is how he joins the Fast and Furious crew. This, he watches his, like, squad get essentially just murdered by this like super corrupt guy you know this 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 drug kingpin who has all the cops in his pocket he knows how corrupt everything is and he decides to like join the criminal enterprise no 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 no. he's still an officer of the law the post credit scene hinges on the fact that he's an officer of the law the end of the movie has him you know saying i'm not the kind of guy to let them get away and it's like buddy what what kind of guy are you? Because you definitely just, you know, participated in this heist. In because I guess you know your connection to your to your your squad, your boys was like strong enough. I like a lot of that stuff. Definitely sort of boggles the imagination. Um, but buddy, at the same time, it's so fucking cool, Mango. Come on, buddy. When they were on the bridge, why didn't why didn't they both just like hit the nos and like? Pull the pull pull the vault faster. 
<laughs> because, because, Mango, because Dom had to make his heroic sacrifice in his one-man stand where he uses the, 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 you know, the safe to do all of the cool safe things, okay? He hits the cars with the safe. He hits one car with the safe into another car with the safe. He decapitates one car with the safe. And then he finally acknowledges the laws of physics, whips the safe into another car, and then uses his car to kill the bad guy, basically, right? Not, not like, kill the bad guy. Knock, knock the bad guy out enough so that the rock can execute him. Oh, that actually is true and the greatest. I did, you were right. And it is the greatest thing when he just pulls out because he has that huge gun. I love this. Yeah. There's this moment earlier. That, this is part of what, what I love about Fast Five, right? Like the rock is so good. He, you know, in Patrick Williams' video, he talks about the rock in this movie. He speaks entirely in one-liners, which is so true. Just like the way he says these things where it, it'll be like the most mundane things. He's like, I want, you know, like, I want you to check trains, buses, planes, everything short of the space shuttle to make sure they didn't get into to, into Rio or whatever. It's just like, lines like that are so good. And he delivers them so amazingly. But there's this moment where they walk into the favela and um, and all of the guys, you know, like all of the, all of the, the street toughs there with their, with their, AK-47 guns or whatever. They all start cocking their guns and he just pulls out this huge fucking revolver and they all immediately like, they're like, okay, you know what? You got us. We're not doing this. And the fact that he actually gets to shoot that gun by the end of the movie is just like, this is cinema. This is, what a picture. Oh. I'm sorry. Yeah, at a certain point, it is this movie... I don't know that there is a better movie for rule of cool, right? It work. It's just cool. It's just cool, man. That's the yeah. The, the Rock lets criminals that he thinks are muscly and cool go, and he executes other ones in the street, right? And Those the United States DEA is totally fine with this. <laughs> how, about, how about this? How about the part in the, of the movie where he he orders his guys to put back together the GT40? They do so. The, they, they're like, boss, there's nothing in here. And the rock sits down, he presses one button, and the little computer pops up. They, 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 didn't, they didn't ever check that computer. They didn't have to put that computer back together. They didn't even try and power it on or whatever. But, like, you know what, man? Doesn't matter. The rock, he's just that good. He's just, he sees it. Why okay. did Reyes need the computer? <laughs> Was Dominic going to, like, mail that card to the fence? That, like, are in, or I guess the Brazilian feds that are in Reyes' pocket anyway? Let them have the fucking chip, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. yeah anyway. No, yeah, uh, like, you know, again, this is a brain, uh, you know, brain-empty movie, right? Totally, totally fine with that. This is not a criticism of... Of the movie, <laughs> I guess. I mean, I guess it is a little bit, right? Like, I guess I needed this movie to transition into, you know, me like leaving my head open for the next four of these, right? Like, um, at that point, I'll appreciate them, but like, I'm still, I was still at the point where I was like, oh, maybe there's a thing here, and the thing here is just like, like you said, weirdly sincere, right? Like, I was convinced up until the moment he died that Vince was like going to betray them, right? Like, um, or that like. You know, like I, like I, I actually thought that like them getting captured by the police 
was going to be the like um the traditional heist movie twist right like that's how they get on the inside or whatever oh Ooh. interesting yeah no i actually really like that the the them getting captured they actually get captured by yeah. hobbs and then it is the you know like the true bad guys who disrupt that whole process i that that bit is in terms of like character work probably my favorite so i like i like all of the family i like all of the heart stuff but i think the real thing that is sort of ticking like the the beating heart at this is the the idea that these are morally good people right they're not self-interested criminals um they are motivated by sort of higher order ethics right and this is the moment where dom gets to really prove that right he is in a position the same position that he was in when you know in his backstory when he like beat that guy half to death with the with the with the wrench picks up the monkey wrench but he can't do it he's not going to do this to you know to to Hobbs. they can have a good old-fashioned scuffle you know little boys will be boys scuffle right but he's not going to like resort to this level of i almost want to say evil right um, and I think that that, that like really grounds a lot of, um, kind of a lot of what's, what's going on and what's happening on screen. So do you think, do you think they did like the, what is it? It's like Arnold and, um, like the predator arm shake. They do the predator arm shake, right? Like when, 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 uh, when Dom, when Dom helps, um, Hobbs up, like they do like the, the, the arm clasp, right? Like, do you think that was like supposed to be referencing that? You know what I'm talking about? The Predator handshake? Yeah. Yes. I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With him and Carl Weathers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that ever, but maybe. Yeah, I so guess. it's not the same thing, right? It's not like the hand-to-hand the, the -hand grip, but it's like the forearm grip, right? Right? Like, yeah. That, that kind of like set, like, I mean, that that whole favela shootout scene is like, like, it is it is surreal, right? Like, in, in like, I mean this, right? Like, it is actually surreal, right? Like, it looks like, I wasn't kidding when I said Call of Duty. Hobbs' squad, like, I want to, I'm kind of convinced that I need to go and look and see if they modeled the Call of Duty characters after these characters. That <laughs> looks like a Call of Duty set of operators, right? Yeah. And then they, the fucking, like, not a, like, you know, rocket launchers, like, sure, I'll buy. But, like, the guy that's, like, half out of the car dying, and not one, but two grenades get slow motion dropped from out of frame. Like, and it holds on it for five seconds before it blows. It's like, holy shit. I can't believe they fucking did this. It was, it's, it's so much fun, but it's so fucking stupid. <laughs> Or the thing where it's like, where, you know, I think my favorite stupid moment in this movie is when they need to get his handprint and she just walks over and he touches her butt. And that's how they, that's how they get the handprint off of, uh, oh, yeah. off of Reyes. Yeah. And it's just like, it's. It, I I guess I maybe I'm just like poisoned by them like I'm like irony poisoned because you expect that moment to go differently right you expect it to be like anything else because it doesn't make any sense how is Han supposed to get it in the first place like what 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 is the idea there it's not that's it's not clear um, and she goes with him on just like on a on a whim because there's chemistry between Han and, and Gal Gadot. Yeah, right? exactly. Like because there's chemistry because between Han and Giselle, which is great and it's true, and I love it. I want Han to get it in so bad, and I love the moment when he goes, 
I think I'm in love. Like every every like of these really subtle line deliveries is so good from from Han or whatever. But like, what was his plan? What was he going to do to get it when he gave up and was like, well, I guess she, he has too much security and she and she gets out of it, right? Like, does the whole plan just sort of fall apart there because like he can't find any sort of access to, you know, access to this guy? And it's just like. I, that, that stuff, I don't know. It just doesn't matter. I think part of it is also just the seven samurai of it all, right? Like oh, the, yeah. the the ensemble, and you have a bunch of different characters, and they're all fun and interesting in their own ways, and they do these, like, little unique things. And it's kind of anchored by, like, the main guys, right? Like, obviously, like I said, the core of this series is Brian and Dom's friendship and how much they, like, really care about each other. And this is the first movie where that is just full steam ahead, right? There's no question, right? Um, Dom chooses Brian over Vince pretty effortlessly, uh, when it comes to, you know, suspecting that Vince is the one that kind of like fucked them over in the, in the initial, in the initial job. Um, but like just Roman showing up and all of his lines and he's goofy and funny and braggadocious, but everyone kind of gives him shit for it. And that's what, and that's what makes him a fun character, right? Just like all of that stuff, I think is, is gangbusters. It's so good. Right. Um, and and probably th if there's any real thing outside of just it's so cool it's obviously so cool they're driving around a safe in this two-car thing and they're beating up a, they're swinging the safe around rio bashing into cars all over the place how cool an action scene is that right outside of just that level of sort of like lizard brain reaction i think that this is the stuff that that makes it work right is is that um you know the ensemble is is well, well done. And uh, and there's a lot of little things that make it work, right? Like, so, for instance, in that one race scene that we were describing earlier, Roman throws his police lights on. They're all racing in police cars. But Roman is the one who is going to do the flashy thing, right? Who is going to do this kind of, like, body thing, right? Um, or he's talking over the, you know, like, over the intercom and making a bet for $100 million or $100,000 or, yeah. or, like, whatever it is. And I just think that there's a lot of little moments like those um, that, uh, you know, they just make it They just make it so good. They just make it so fun. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh Absolutely. So just to, to kind of bring it back to the thing I hinted at in the pre-spoiler section, the reason I was looking at the Dark Knight is because they light the money on fire at the first house, right? Very close. Like, oh, I thought that was smart. Yes. But I was like, that that's like the, jerk, the Joker scene. I wonder which one came first, right? And the Joker one came out three years before. Because um, that was like, I, that, that's like, oh, that's that's where that comes from, right? But it's, it, you know, like, I guess, I guess part of the thing that, like, bothered me a little bit about this film is that, like, it's set up to actually be, like, a really smart heist film, like an Ocean's Eleven, right? But it's not, right? Like, like I said, like, it just, like, you know, turns halfway through and turns into, like, you know, and, like, it's not that anymore, right? Like, it's not really a heist, right? It's, like, a, a smash and grab, which is fine. But, like, it, it feels like a lot of that heist setup was, like, kind of wasted, Um you know, yeah, I mean, there is some it, stuff that I think, like, kind of comes into it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and in a certain sense, one of the things I like about the movie is it undermines a little bit of... Okay, so I think part of the, the Ocean's movies... And, I, and I've described this before about kind of plot-driven movies, right? Which are these, like, ticking clock time bombs that you are sort of diffusing, right? And the question is, can you figure out what the plot is going to be, where it's going to go next... 
before the bomb explodes essentially the bomb exploded being the plot reveals kind of what it is right and there's a bunch of these um the one that we the one that we liked was bad times at the el royale is a really good example yeah, of one yeah. of these um but there's a million of them right um and i like that where you know the oceans movies are pretty built on this um th you know there's not really an you know, like there's no there's not really a character with an arc in the ocean excuse me in the oceans movies it's just kind of you get a bunch of fun people in in the room and the fun ensemble sort of like does his thing. This is the exact opposite of that. This is all about sort of like heart and that sincerity that comes when Vin Diesel says family. And when people do the supercuts of the way Vin Diesel says family, a lot of those come from this movie because from before here he actually really doesn't that, that that's not as much of a of a of a thing right but after this moment is when it does become a big deal right um and there are kind of quieter character moments right where like you know brian is talking about his being nervous as, as a father he's asking dom what his dad is like and dom explains the concept of the family barbecue right if you don't go to church you don't you don't get barbecue you know somebody has to say grace or whatever and we've seen that barbecue we saw the barbecue in the first one but this is the thing that gives it the significance right that will eventually kind of trigger later down the line and and it becomes a thing right one of the things that i was talking about in our very first review was the number of different traditions that are like established in that movie that take on weight later the weight comes here essentially because now these movies are about family um because this movie specifically is about, you know, is about family. Um, and I think that that's the stuff that kind of saves it from, maybe I would call this like the Rick and Morty heist problem, right? You know, the Rick and Morty heist problem. Did you ever see that episode of Rick and Morty? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, man, this would be a great example, but uh, I don't know that. I, but to, to explain, you know how heist movies, they have a whole, they have the heist playing out, but then like something goes wrong but then you find out the thing going wrong is part of the is part of the heist the whole time or whatever yeah or that or they have to it, it depends on the specific movie but yes yeah, yeah 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 so okay so rick and morty made fun of this they did it they did a whole episode about how heist movies are just about like you insert a flashback to to explain why the thing happened you know because i wanted it to happen this specific way over like upbeat you know, music or whatever. And there is a bit of that here, right? Like there is the, the legitimate plot twist of they switch out the vaults. Right. Um, but mostly the, the details of the heist don't matter. Right. It is not all that important. And you're not really supposed to be keeping up with those things. It's mostly about setting up the action set pieces. Right. And getting to the heart of this character drama. Right. When, Dom refuses to kill Luke Hobbs and everybody surrenders to the cops. That's game over, right? And then there's this huge shootout. Hobbs loses his whole team and Vince dies. And it's like, oh shit, this is now real. But now we can go back to, you know, like putting putting the heist on. And sure, like maybe I could make an argument that like they're, they're improvising a lot of the aspects of the, of the heist because that seems to be what is being set up or whatever um there is there are some aspects of the heist that were set up originally right them stealing the police cars for instance um that were set up originally that do pay off in this yeah. final sort of like moment but all that stuff i think all that stuff is incidental right it's the least important piece of the puzzle the stuff that matters is that sincerity the characters the action yeah no i think i'd agree with that 
Um, but like at, at the end of the day, I think that's like not a, like that's a fun movie. And it's a movie I'm happy, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have fun with. It's a great movie to put on on uh, on as you know on the background, right? Like at a party or whatever. But I don't know if I could ever call it one of my favorite movies because also it like beyond like beyond the coolness factor, it also lacks a lot of like kind of technical um, kind of like. Gravamin maybe is the right way to put it, right? Like something I saw, I thought while watching this movie is like, you know, um, there's one scene which is kind of like weirdly funny. Is it's the scene where they're where um, they're chasing, um, you know, Dom, uh, Dom and uh, Brian and um, uh, Marie, Maria. Is that is that Dom's sister's name? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Chasing them through the the favela. Um, uh, and, you know, it's like this three-way fight, right? They're ch- like the the Reyes' men are chasing the three of them. And then Hobbs has just shown up and is in the process. And, you know, it is, it is kind of like also interacting in the situation. Um, and uh, uh, the the police officer grabs Dom, right? And then the, the Reyes' men shows up and he saves her life. But what happens is, is like Hobbs' squad, like, like, Four of them in, like, a fucking line step forward on the roof and just, like, gun the fuck down all of Reyes' men, right? But there's, like, so, like, they are holding the guns, like, at their waists loosely, and those things don't have any recoil on them, right? Like, and again, not that it's a real criticism, but, like, that's kind of why I like John Wick. It takes the gun mechanic seriously, and yeah, I appreciate true. that, right? Like, um, and I think at some level, criticisms about that's not how guns work have, like, made its way into the the popular cult like i i've been thinking about this as like a larger scale right i feel like sometime we might have talked about this before but sometime sometime in like something between the 90s and the aughts is this line where like you don't have an excuse to make something that doesn't make any sense anymore right because like basically wikipedia has like made it inexpensive to do like basic research Right. Oh, yeah, sure. So this is like the industrial or I'm sorry, the information res- revolution, right? Where yeah. before in the in the 1970s, when my dad is doing a research paper, he has to go to the library, check out books, read these books in order to do whatever. I can just Google everything. Right. Right. If I if I ever have a question that I need to, it's like, oh, what was that actor in? I just Google it. I take out the little computer in my pocket, you know, yeah. in my pocket that is connected to all of the information that humankind has ever cataloged on the internet and i just go who is the who is this guy in this in this movie right and that's something that you know years ago you never had the ability to do even something as simple as like maps and directions right um you know when i was going to my like when we were doing family trips we were going to my cousin's house my dad had me pull out the atlas to make sure that we were getting on the right routes and like taking the right freeways because we needed to make sure that we didn't overshoot and then all of a sudden, oh, God, we're going to Boston when we needed to get off and go to Cape Cod, that kind of a thing, right? So I definitely I definitely get, I definitely get like, that level of uh, – because to a certain extent, I want to give this a little bit of immunity, right? Which is to say that John Wick comes out, whatever, 2014, 2016 right. or whatever, uh, you know, a couple years after this. And I think it's – you know, there's a part of me that wants to say it's unfair to hold movies like this to that standard. Uh, but I think that that's ultimately a confirmation bias on my part, right? Like that is me. I like this movie and I want to sort of shield it from criticism, but the, I think the reality is you're right. And I do think that that's bad. And it does make the, you know, it does make some of the stuff, um, 
worse. But the interesting thing is I don't necessarily know that the gun physics mattering translates across the board. So, for instance, I think the safe physics don't matter, and if they do, the movie is bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think like, I think I do. Yeah, yeah. Like if if they can't do cool shit by these two cars are pulling the mace all the, the pulling the safe all around Rio. Honestly, right? I was thinking it looks like a fl- it's like a flail. It's like a car flail. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly right. And like I said, that final run with Dom, you know that they sat down and they were like, okay, Dom is making this suicidal run and. He's probably going to die, but he needs to figure out a way, you know, like to to one v nine all of the all of these police cars. And they go each each beat is a new escalation of okay. First, he just hits a guy with a safe. Then he does this. Then he does that, and it goes up and up and up, and it, and it kind of like builds. And all of that is built on the idea that it's fucking cool, right? <laughs> that they're dragging around this gigantic safe and smacking into things, um, you know, smacking into things with it. So it's interesting to me that the gun. I think I would agree with you that the gun stuff. So, so like, I, I don't want to. So. This is a thing. I think a thing of where the culture has moved forward enough that, like, be- because that information is widely available, right? Like, you know, if this was 1980, right? They'd have to fire hire like a firearms expert, or in the general sense, right? Like, hire an expert on sure. everything to like, and that's money, and maybe they don't want to do it. And of course, also part of this is Hollywood has an established gun language that is unrealistic, right? Like, even John Wick gets silencers wrong, right? Like that kind of thing. Um, what do you mean? Oh, right, silencers right. are not that quiet, right? Like a silencer. Oh, yes, I understand. Okay, yeah, yes. yeah. like you know, th- there is a shootout in John Wick where like no one notices them because they're being very good with their silencers, right? That doesn't happen. A silencer means that it like won't burst your eardrums. That's about it, right? Like you will still hear yeah. it. Um, but like the point being is like this was like acceptable in like this. This is becoming less acceptable, especially post John Wick. You have the unrealistic gun physics, not because. Like, if I had watched this in 2011, I probably wouldn't have this criticism because not only would, like, you know, the only people who cared about that were people who cared a lot about guns. Whereas, like, now everybody kind of knows that kind of thing because, like, there's enough of a cultural imprint, right? Um, And so, like, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't really mean it as a criticism so much as, like, I appreciate how far we've come since it because now we get, like, since, you know, since realistic gunplay has been a thing that, like, has permeated the culture through things like Call of Duty, through things like John Wick, right? Like, we we want it to, like, more people know more things about it now. And so, like, you know, just kind of as, like, a point-in-time type thing, right? Like, Yeah. That, see, that's interesting. I do think I would say that there is a sort of problem in that first chase scene and maybe less about the second one because i don't think that's as much an action scene really like that's just like a shit hits the fan they're just getting you know the like that that i i don't actually think the point of the scene where they're in police custody they're they're like hobbs has them and then um they get attacked by reyes's guys right like that's not as much of an action scene as much as it is just like a tragic scene in a way um and the one that establishes the ways uh that um uh hobbs's relationship with the fast and furious crew is going to is going to change but that first scene i do think lacks something and it probably is because of the unrealistic gunplay is really is really kind of the argument that i think i'm I'm probably making here uh and there's probably something that's neat and interesting to the way in which 
realistic gun physics, realistic gunplay matters to this level of the story. Um, but realistic car physics don't. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, for instance, the, uh, the 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 safe stuff is like unrealistic car physics, right? There's plenty of other stuff that that we would consider to be unrealistic car physics as well. I'm sure, right? Like if we were actually talking about some of the other like pieces of the pieces of sort of like the car puzzle, um, but that doesn't matter, right? Because in the moment, the action is built on this cool thing happening, and we all sort of agree that that it is. It is sweet and it yeah. is cool. The, the gunplay is I not think that con contrast is interesting. Yeah, the, the gunplay is not fantastical, right? Like this is yeah. kind of this is kind of like this is kind of like you know why you know well you believe in space wizards why don't you believe in the rest of you know why don't you believe in these other flaws in Star Wars is a bad criticism because like you know the the interior rules of the universe. It's a little bit different in this situation because, like, cars are real, um, as we were <laughs> to say. But, like, the interior... Like, if I'm going to make the strongest case for it, right? Like, the magical stuff in the Fast and the Furious is the car stuff, right? Like, cars yeah. are magical in Fast and Furious. Nothing else really is. And, like, there's no point for it to be magical, right? Like, um, it's, not, it's not like, you know, uh, Hobbs' team lazily gunning down the, the gangsters... Is, is, like, a necessary part of the craziness, right? They could shoulder their guns and have it not be an issue, right? Like, yep. like them missing all of their shots, even though, like, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to shoot them, that's not a problem. Them, like, lazily executing the gun aspect is, is a little bit of a problem, right? Is, is that about right? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I actually do think I agree with you. So, for instance, like, there's a fantastical element to the plot armor with which, you know, there's a there's a moment where Dom is running across rooftops in the favela and there's a guy in a thing and he's shooting, but you're watching all of his bullets miss, right? right yeah. That's theoretically pretty fantastical, right? Like, we could, you know, like, we could accept... A realistic world where it's not that hard to shoot, you know, Dom at 20 yards with an automatic weapon, right? Um, but, yeah, the, the 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 actual sort of, like, stance in which... It's funny because I even think that this, this matters in, in, like, smaller ways, right? Like, the ways in which I watch people hold... Because, you know, like, one of the things is that people don't hold pistols the same way anymore. They do the, the sightline thing with pistols. That's a John Wick thing, right? And it's real, but it has completely changed the legibility of the ways in which people are dealing with pistols in these action scenes, right? Like, you will see it in completely unrelated, you know, like, this isn't just a John Wick thing. Right. Like, lots of action movies that are coming out in the modern era are built on those sorts of attention, like attention to those sorts of details, which I think is, is kind of neat and interesting. Um, yeah, it is funny that there is the moment where, uh, they stop the cars and the safe, you know, to, in order to do the thing where they split apart and the safe crashes into, you know, crashes into the, the trucks or whatever. And then they're pushing the safe through like the alley or whatever. All of that is really built on, sort of magic um as well as like their magical they, they essentially have the superpower of driving cars good um <laughs> yeah. i gotta tell you like <laughs> that's like <laughs> you know it's funny it's like <clears throat> in in like superhero comics there's this thing of uh of like peak human like fitness which is like a really common thing for normal characters to have peak human fitness so for instance batman 
one of his superpowers is peak human fitness, right? Green Arrow, peak human fitness. All of these, all of these characters kind of have that, um, like as a given. All of the, all of the characters in the Fast and Furious are peak human driving, <laughs> and that gets a little canonized when when Luke Hobbs shows up and he says, uh, you know, whatever you do, don't let him in a car. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um. When it comes to when it comes to like the full crew, do you do you have a favorite? Have you Cole? It's not a favorite. Like my favorite is Han. Um. Not maybe ludicrous. Like he, <laughs> he is the only one besides Han who like the people who left a, a real impression on me are ludicrous and Han. Maybe right. Um. And I don't, and, and Han's for like metatextual reasons, right? Like Han left an impression on me because I can, you know, and in the movie he's like, Tokyo can wait, which is like a very like metatextual thing, right? Like, um, but like, you know, uh, like Ludacris is like, is, is humble, right? Like, like Roman is like, man, I'm going to be fancy and like gregarious. And Ludacris is like, I want to open up my own little shop. Um, I'm still going to one up you at the end of the movie, but like, um, uh, you know, and he's also like, you know, he's like, I had a life before this. Right. And like, he like can bust open the safe. Right. Like, that's... oh yeah. I love, I love that moment. Uh, there's a couple of that. that that's a lot that gets repeated. Uh, I think Han says it also. Yeah. Where yeah. he says, you know, like <laughs> I, I, I had a life before this. Yeah. I agree with you. I definitely love, uh, tension. It's funny because there are certain people who stick around in the, in the, you know, in the crew and certain people who kind of, uh, fall by the wayside, uh, Tej, Han, Roman, and Giselle are, like, permanent fixtures of the Fast and Furious crew. Um, but uh, Santos and the other guy, you know, obviously Vince dies, so Vince is not in the crew anymore. Um, though I really love Vince in this movie. I will say, one of my favorite things about the movie is there's a shot where Brian is looking at the forearm that's all scarred up. Because in the first movie, Vince got, like, tied to a cable on one of the trucks, right? Um, and Brian saved Vince's life from that, you know, like from that situation, but it was also the moment where he gets like added as a, as, as a cop or whatever. And it's just like, it's, it's a little insert like that, that like, ah, oh, it feels good, you know, to, to sort of see all of those kind of, all that kind of complex history play out between, you know, between sort of the two of them silently in just like a moment. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's. Vince Vince is like a is like an inverse or he's like a red herring but like a, mm. in like a weirdly sincere you know he's like no he's actually not the douchebag you think he is he's actually like a good guy right and he's just trying to do right by everyone um, yeah and he's still part of the family and he gets yeah. his cut uh for his uh, for Nico whose name is Dominic Dominico I guess yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. The Nico as a nickname for Dominic makes sense to me right like yeah it's funny I have a cousin uh whose name is Nicholas but we call him Nico uh, and, uh, which is, which is an Italian thing. Uh, in, in, in Italy, the nickname for, for Nicholas isn't Nick. It's, it's Nico, I guess just is a, as a thing, but it's just like a funny little detail, um, that, that I noticed this time around. Uh, but I feel like I, I missed it in like other previous, you know, viewings, uh, of, of the, of the movie. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah uh, I don't know. It was it was definitely a, a heartstring puller, right? And that's that's like kind of when you know that he's he's sincere, right? Like he doesn't name his kid Nico if he's not going to actually like do good by everybody, which is good, right? Like, yeah. 
Um, like you said, it's a very sincere movie. And, and this era is like also kind of like peak, peak cynicism, right? Like peak antihero, right? We were talking about the Dark Knight, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, the start of like the Bathos Fest that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? You said you wanted to make a comparison here. Did you, did you, did you... Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we can end on this. My big – here's my big thing. One of the things that I thought was really interesting um, was – Looking at the J, this is a this is a, an observation that doesn't come from me. It comes from our friend, film Robert Movie Bob made this made this comparison where basically James Bond is chasing the trends, right? The thing, if you look at the James Bond movies that come out, there's typically a really big action movie thing happening in those movies that, um, it is kind of coasting off of right so you know for instance casino royale comes out two years after i think 2007 two years after batman begins right um not skyfall god is it skyfall uh one of the quantum of songs i'm sorry i think it is skyfall actually uh oh yes skyfall skyfall comes out uh four years after the dark knight but it uses that same plot twist where the 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 villain plans on getting captured in order to be brought into the you know like in order to be brought into the main hero's base and do his whole right like you know oh my plan was actually to you know break out this this whole time kind of thing um uh specter which is the which is the movie that uh, that introduces um ernst blofeld um as the architect of all of your misfortunes james right um is kind of aping Marvel Cinema stuff, right? Like Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff. Kind of going back and pretending that all of these previous movies are actually connected. They're, they are actually all one, you know, cohesive universe when realistically they were just kind of episodic stories that didn't have a ton of connection to one another. Um, that, that kind of a thing. Um, and so he made this opera, he, he, made the, he made this observation. Um, and the thing that I realized is that I feel like the Fast and Furious movies are actually kind of the opposite of that. The Fast and Furious movies pre are predating some of some of these things right we have fast five which is functionally a lot like the avengers in the sense of you know there's a bunch of characters from previous movies who all you know join together in order to in order to like make the ensemble team to deal with the thing um that predates the avengers by like a year um and 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 there's some other stuff you know uh that that i could probably talk about but i don't want to get into like spoiler territory um for sort of later later down the line movies but i really like the i but i actually think that 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 kind of tracks and makes it makes a certain amount of sense especially because the fast and the furious movies are they have always been popular but like they haven't been popular in as wide an audience um as until this movie really kind of like shot it into the stratosphere, right? Um, and I think the shared universe and sort of the lore behind Fast and Furious that will eventually get more and more kind of important is actually indicative of a hunger for this sort of serialized storytelling across genres, right? Um, I think we're seeing that a little bit with Star Wars now as well, to be fair. Um, but at the time, it kind of felt like a superhero thing, right? Like really densely, heavily continuity-focused things, right? It was kind of a superhero thing. But now, but it's actually bigger than that. And Fast and Furious shows that it, not only is it bigger than that, it's been bigger than that for a long time. The fact that there are lines, there, that there are shots like Brian looking at Vince's scar, right? Or, 
lines like Han saying, you know, we'll get there eventually about going to Tokyo, right? Like these are the kinds of things that rely on having an audience who is familiar with the surrounding lore of this universe and who has kind of bought in on some sort of uh, level to that, to that stuff. And we're now in a, in a culture that is saturated with it. Right. Um, in fact, you and I have both expressed frustrations on a certain level right like we haven't watched all of these marvel tv shows and kept up with all of the details because like you know watching 12 hours of television just to find out what one minor character is going to show up in a movie in three years or whatever is like kind of doesn't feel worth it but i also feel like i i have to do my homework otherwise i'm going to get spoiled on twitter for some you know like bullshit thing right like all of that kind of stuff i feel like um it's interesting seeing it in as a wave overtaking the culture that is charted out in these dumb fast and furious movies. Oh, I'm sorry. And the other piece of this is that these movies aren't based on anything, right? This is part of the magic of them. And part of one of the things I like about them, there is no source material. There are no, you know, I, 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 I I'm not going to go read a Wikipedia article on who Kang is before I go see the movie, because I know Kang is based off of a, you know, a popular Avengers villain who has all of these, iterations and does all of these different sort of things no 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 no. these movies come out and they chart a, a completely new path and so it's interesting that in a world of sequels and reboots and and remakes and all this other sort of stuff um here is an original franchise but it's still operating on the same rules of continuity and lore that the sequel reboot remake kind of craze is caught up in that's my that's my like big overarching point which i think is interesting yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I get. The, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I buy so much. Like, you know, you like, yes, this movie predates the Avengers, but like the seeds of what the Avengers was planting, um, had been there for a while, right? Like Nick Fury was at the end of Iron Man, right? Like, um, and so I don't know if I want to like, like, because. I don't know. You you obviously know more about the production than I do, but it, it felt to me, at least at the time, that like around the time that like this movie was coming out, it was like really they're making more of those because like the first three felt very spaced out to me, right? The first one was like ninety nine, yeah. right? Like, um, yeah. To be clear, I I and I also I'm not assigning an intention, here, okay. right? Like I'm not saying that Fast Five beat Avengers to the punch, right? They did it first, kind of thing. It is that there is it is noting the groundswell in the culture popping up in an unexpected place sort of showing a mirror effect to what we would have maybe thought was kind of localized to the Marvel Cinematic Universe okay, yeah. but was actually happening in this other place at the exact same time and happening in a way that we wouldn't necessarily expect because this is an original franchise it is not the kind of you know um nerd focused right right like, cuz the original pulling on of, some the original version of this is in like the Marvel is like a Marvel movie comes out and like the people who are big comic book nerds know certain things because like, actually this was the plot line, right? Like, yeah. And, and like, and this is something that is gratifying, right? Like yeah. this is part of why I think the Marvel cinematic universe is so effective is because it invites this sort of meta text to be created around it. It's kind of like how a game like World of Warcraft invites a meta text, right? Which is that you you don't just experience the game, you're also experiencing all these other things that are connected to the game. You're going on Wowhead, you're reading guides from, from famous writers, you're watching 
you know, streams from famous players who are the best at this class and are the ones who can tell you, no, you should take this talent and not that talent. All of this is like meta text, but the game itself is fertile ground for that meta text to sort of exist, right? right? Marvel movies are the exact same thing. Marvel movies are, are like part of what is in intrinsically interesting about them is that you can have this thing of oh the trailer is coming out for the next marvel movie and let's go over all of the little comic book easter eggs right and that's a 15 minute youtube video that a million different video essayists are going to put together right or um you hear casting details or the fact that you know for instance when we when we learned in guardians 2 that uh Kurt Russell got cast. Um, there was a question of who he was going to play. And you could do this this thing where it's like, oh, could Kurt Russell be X? Could he be Y? Could he be Z? And then it turns out he's Ego, the living planet. Like, all of this kind of stuff, right? Like, th that is very fertile meta text. And the only reason that it exists is because there's this interaction between the adaptation of the movie and the original source material. Fast and Furious doesn't have any of that sort of stuff, right? But it does have that attention to lore and, and the serialized nature of the movies. Um, and I think that that's kind of the, the heart of a lot of this uh, a lot of this stuff. Anyway, I just thought that's interesting. There's, there's not more, more to it than than that <laughs> yeah no I, I definitely I, I i get it and that that is that is absolutely interesting um that's also probably a good place to leave it because like you know as much as this movie is fun it is kind of like head empty so like you know we talked we've talked a fair amount around the movie which i think is appropriate um yep. but with that i'm gonna say uh buddy how was your week Oh man, how was my week? What did I do this week? Uh, we did we did a lot of mythics. Mythics are rough this week. There's a, there's an interesting ongoing conversation happening around Mythic Plus in World of Warcraft um, that I am slowly getting frustrated with, but also interested in. Um, like I'm interested in it in the sense of like the podcast, but I'm frustrated with it because it seems to be basically the the next version of borrowed power um i kind of want to do a full episode on it but i don't know that we could really support that um and uh but it's but it's definitely it's definitely like very you know sort of like like it's it's got my it's got my noodle wiggling around in there i'm thinking about you know some of these uh some of these things um what else did i play i played some pathfinder kingmaker i got i got back into that because i want to get back into playing it and beating and beating that like that game i played a lot of zoetti i played a lot of uh uh, a Hearthstone. I guess a medium amount of Hearthstone. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I I have some stuff to talk about. But do you, what what do you have? Do you do you have anything you want to go um, on first? So just what? Uh, so I'm I'm making my way through God of War Ragnarok. I think I'm close to the end of it. I spent like most of my weekend doing that. So um, not a lot to go into there. It's a fun game. Highly recommend it. Um, it's it's I'm at this point where like essentially. Essentially, because like because I sensed I was getting near the end of the story, did like the whole cleanup thing. I don't know if you do this, but in games it's like, oh, you're gonna hit the like the end stage point. I'm gonna go clean up all the side quests that I didn't do, um, and like the Berserker King, much like in the first game where the Valkyrie fights were the big hard challenge, the Berserker King fights are like the or the Berserker Gravestones are like the hardest challenges. And it's weird because after doing those for a while, everything else just seems super fucking easy. Um, but um, the only other big notable thing that I did this week is uh, this video came out, and I watched one minute of this three-minute video about two dozen times because they announced Z or they we knew Zangief was going to be in Street Fighter Six, but they finally released his trailer, and I am so fucking hype. Um, 
This came out alongside a trailer for, or the same trailer was also for Cammy and Lily. Lily is a new character who appears to be the daughter of T-Hawk and definitely shares his moveset, um, uh, but has, like, you know, obviously is visually different. Um, but I'm just hyped for Street Fighter, right? Comes out in June. Um, like, I think Zangief looks great. And uh, that's that's been my, my big kind of hype moment for the week. It's like, Zangief, Zangief, Zangief. But that's... Uh, that's basically it. Uh, what do you want to talk about? More? Like I also talk about Marvel have you, have you, stuff, but have you been have you been watching anything recently? Um, have I been? No, not in particular. Just YouTube videos. Um, Man, I was watching something. What fucking was it? Yeah, I have also been watching a lot of YouTube videos. I'm very addicted to. Uh, well, actually, I'm less addicted now because I think the. Um, uh, the context of of sort of the things have changed but yeah I, I i have been addicted to youtube videos recently and i've been putting a ton of hours into them <laughs> yeah i spent i spent probably too much tough too much time uh watching youtube videos but you know that's uh it's okay um yeah uh you said you said you had some stuff to talk about with maybe with um uh with hearthstone or something like that uh, I don't know. I so the WoW stuff is maybe is okay. maybe what I'm interested in talking about. I don't know that we can support a whole episode. Um, well, let's talk about. We've got, we got a bunch of time, and we, neither of us have. We have, yeah, exactly. Time. We have a ton of time on the clock. So, he, so here's the interesting thing. My, uh, I, I wrote in the the WoW circle jerk unjerk thread, which is typically the place that people go, or the way that at least on my end I tend to go when I don't want to engage with like the main WoW subreddit. Um, about the stuff that it is it, it is currently complaining about. Like, I don't want to get in a fight um, about, you know, what whatever they're kind of complaining about. I'm just going to go to the to the unjerk thread, and I'm going to make my complaint. And the thing that I wrote was that the term mechanical bloat is going to be the new borrowed power for this expansion. Because it seems like the thing that's happening, you know, Dragonflight's been out. It's been out for a while. Um, and the thing that's been happening is there's a growing sort of upswell of frustration in the Mythic Plus community. And the frustration is typically centered around um, this idea of mechanics bloat, right? Which is that every mob in every dungeon has something you need to pay attention to, and if you don't, it kills you. Or you wipe, right? You know, if you don't interrupt this cast, you you die. If you don't do whatever, this thing, someone is going to get one shot. Um, and the idea is that there is this, that the Dragonflight dungeons are a unique and new version of this level of mechanics bloat um, to kind of the game. Now, obviously, because I'm framing it this way, you know I'm going to disagree, and I do disagree. Um, and here's why. In Shadowlands, gear for Mythic Plus stopped at a plus 15, right? When you cleared plus 15s, you got Mythic level gear. You got the highest possible level gear, right? Um, and when you... Um, and when you finished a dungeon, you you got, like, raiding or whatever, and you could get, like, an item, and you could upgrade that item to about the top end of heroic in terms of, you know, like, the the what, what sort of the floor is. Um, and the raiding required to do that was getting sort of 15s in time. So everything above a 15 was purely sort of ornamental and cosmetic, right? It wasn't, it wasn't real. It was just kind of, um, you know, points. if... 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, it's, right. it's like I wanna, I wanna brag about this, and then you get to twenties, twenty. You you had Keystone Hero, um, and you know maybe there's some stuff in season three, for instance, conduits were tied to Keystone Hero, um, but at the end of the day, um, <clears throat> the power, you know, like the the power of your gear sort of stopped at a fifteen, which sort of meant that most people were running around that 10 to 15 level. And when they hit their 15s, they kind of got good enough. Right. Um, and, and they sort of like moved on with their week. Right. So you get a lot of raiders who would do like a couple of 15s for the vault because it gives higher eye level gear than what they were getting in heroic raid. Um, but typically 15s are about as good as heroic raid in terms of, you know, gear, um, and, and what they're, what they're getting out. The change that happened in shot or Dragonflight is that the gear has now expanded all the way up to plus 20. Right. Um, so putting a 20 in the vault is what gets you the highest level of gear, not a 15 anymore. Um, and Valor also expanded by one level so that you could get into mythic level um, items. Right. So, for instance, in Razageth, um, Razageth Heroic is going to drop item level 411 gear. But with Valor, I can pump a piece of gear to item level 415. Right. Which is basically the bottom level of what a mythic boss would give you. Um uh, 421, which is the high, like the very highest end level, um, 421 would, would be coming out of mid-level mythic boss raids. And then there's some stuff, anything that drops off mythic Razageth or mythic Broodkeeper would be item level 424. You can't get any, anything close to that in mythic, in mythic plus, right? Um, I hope those numbers are comprehensible because, you know, it's, it's all sort of like Bigger number is better. <clears throat> for yeah, people at right. home that don't follow, right? Like, sure, 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 sure. So now you have this incentive for people who in Shadowlands were playing the game. Okay, I'm going to do a couple of plus 15s. I'm going to do a... Um, oh, I'm sorry. One more, one more other change. Um, one, rating inflates at a higher rate at higher levels, right? Completing a... Going from a completed 17 to a completed 18 is more impactful than going from a completed 11 to a completed 12 right um on the, at the bottom end of the list the ratings are, are packed pretty tightly together and then they get they get sort of zoomed out over time um as you as you get higher into the into the uh, the, the kind of high end um which has some implications for some of this like gear sort of uh gear sort of stuff and the other thing that they did is that the scaling numbers increased at 11 um, so basically what used to be, let's say an increment of five between doing an, um, uh, a, an 11 keystone and doing a 12 keystone is now an increment of seven, right? And do, and the difference between an 11 and a 13 is now a 14 instead of a 10. Does that make sense? Where you're kind of yeah. get, jumping even higher and higher, right? So the scaling got tougher, the gear got better, right? And you have this whole class of players who look a lot like us, who are heroic raiders. They're probably not raiding mythic, right? But they want to get ahead of the curve. And one of the things they do to support that is they put time into mythic mythic dungeons. In Shadowlands, these people have two years where the dungeons they are putting into are 15s in order to get the highest level reward. Now, in order to get that level of reward, they need to push 20s. But the reality of pushing 20s is vastly different. And not only that, 20s now are harder than 20s were in Shadowlands, right? Because of this scaling issue, this 5-7 sort of scaling issue. So when you're doing a 20 now, it's kind of like you were doing like a 22 in Shadowlands, right? 
Um, and what this has created is a world in which people have expectations that there are certain caster mobs in a dungeon, right? So, for instance, in the Ruby Life Pools, there are um, there are these mobs called Cinder Weavers who will chain cast a Cinder Bolt, right? Um, and the Cinder Bolt does a bunch of damage. And sometimes there are two Cinder Bolts, like you know, casters in a in a in a group, uh, in a pack. And if they both target the same person, they'll one shot that person because the cast do so much damage at that at that keystone level. But what they're used to are caster mobs from something like Halls of Atonement, um, which cast sort of freely in the exact same way, um, but the damage is much lower um, because they're in a 15, they're not in a 20, you know, what would effectively be a 22. Or, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and so the level of coordination needed in order to get the level of gear has, has gone way, way up. And what I think this has happened with, and so... <clears throat> Is kind of my thesis. Mechanics bloat hasn't happened. It's just people are the the incentives to run higher end content have increased, and now people are running into that content and a ton of friction around it, right? And one of the interesting things about that is that when they're complaining about mechanics bloat, they are also complaining about dungeons that are from seven years ago. So Halls of Valor is a dungeon in which every mob is doing something that is really dangerous and lethal and you need to be tracking it and worried about it and the tank is going to have to figure out when they're using their defensives and you're going to have to assign people to certain interrupts right like so for instance before any pull with a with a caster i will say i'm on the thundercaller dave is on the mystic or i'm on the thundercaller you know drudel is on the rune carver that that kind of a thing right um that level of coordination is for a dungeon from 2016 this is a dungeon that came out with the launch of legion right and it's the same sort of coordination that we have in ruby life pools about stopping these cinder, cinder weavers from spamming sort of cinder bolt um but you know uh the uh the fact that we are now pushing these higher levels and there's this incentive to go higher and farther and to really sort of like reach a level of play um that is uh that is not something that somebody who's been playing mythic plus has really seen all that much of um i think has kind of uh been been interesting um i don't want to completely discount these feelings entirely i do think that there are probably some differences um and pain uh, 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 like when it when it comes to some of this stuff um but it just has the interesting sort of like knock-on effects um as people are sort of describing the fact that mythic plus feels worse right now than it did in previous in previous sort of seasons i don't know if any of that was legible i really hope it was <laughs> no, that, that, that makes sense right because like my, my initial kind of like read on the situation is like there's there's a there's a level of kind of like you have to execute perfectly in order to do this this thing right um but also that that also can be kind of suffocating right like you, you're just kind of like running a pattern right um but i feel like that's kind of the game with mmos um and so it makes sense to me that like essentially that's always been the thing but only the people who care like what it, what it sounds like is people the only people who did this before were the people, kind of people who liked that kind of challenge right yeah um because there was no material benefit or you know it was it was just kind of like cosmetics or or bragging rights right um and other people who don't like it, this is, I, I think this may, might just go back to kind of like what players feel obligated to do, right? There's people who like feel like they're obligated to do this because this is how they get the good gear and they're not happy yep. about it the same way they weren't happy about grinding Corthia, right? Even though like, you know, they don't have to if they don't want to, right? Like this kind of like want the thing easier, maybe, I guess. 
Um, yeah, it's also, I, I think there's also interesting questions about, like, friction, right? So, for instance, one of the complaints that gets lobbied around a lot is the idea that the affixes, the mythic plus affixes, like, bursting, explosive, grievous, whatever, right? Like, all these different affixes, these are outdated, right? And, um, and a lot of people suggest that they should be reworked into something that is not harmful but is in fact beneficial right um because one of the things that shadowlands did is had a lot of what are called kiss curse affixes which is you have to do a thing that's hard but when you do it you get rewarded in some way right um the design has pulled away from that a certain extent in um in dragonflight there are there is less uh Especially in the you know, like this is typically the seasonal affixes, right? Um, there is less kiss and more and more sort of curse. And I would make the argument that I think friction is important, and you know, you're not supposed like people will say, "God, I fucking hate quaking." Right? Quaking is is the worst worst affix. I I hate looking at a week and seeing quake. It's like, well, yeah, it's the fucking point. It's supposed to make the dungeon harder. No one is supposed to go, "Yes, I like quaking," because that then it wouldn't be doing you know like doing its its job um but i also think that there are sort of questions around um what a good affix is and what it could sort of look like and the way in which it encourages you to play um that are that is interesting honestly the the argument that i think i'm most receptive to is just that they're stale because we basically had the same affixes for seven years in a lot of different places um and maybe we could do a thing like I think one of the things that affixes did was they they pulled from uh, greater rifts, right? Like Mythic Plus pulled pretty hard from from greater rifts in Diablo three, right? Um, but in Diablo three, there were just way more affixes um, to sort of to sort of choose from, and I sort of wonder in a world where like the full season of affixes are just going to be completely changed up, right? You're gonna have some affixes that are gonna be doing just wildly different things um, depending on how you know, like how this mechanic plays out at any individual time. Um, and I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. I, I just feel like it is a, it is a complicated issue uh, to, to sort of get to the other side of. Um, but I obviously like Mythic Plus a lot and, you know, yeah. it is interesting seeing it kind of like impact some of these things that I think of as a little bit rote have impacted the player base in, in a little bit of a different way. Yeah, so this is interesting because I feel like the budget's got to be between a rock and a hard place here, right? Because, like, the reason you don't do something like, you know, like a Greater Rift, which is, like, the Greater Rift just, like, does whatever fucking affix it wants. And if you get, like, a bad roll, then whatever. You fucking lose your Rift. Who cares, right? The problem is, is, like, you could theoretically do that per, per like, Keystone, I guess, in Mythic Plus. And, like, just have, like, a bigger variety. But part of the issue there is that, like, well, if you continually get, like, unlucky, then you're going to miss out on seat. Like, or, you know, let's say you're towards the end of the season, right? And, you really, and you're pushing for Keystone Master. You get fucked on your Keystone, right? Like, well, then you're fucked out of the achievement for the whole season, right? Which is, like, not a concern yep. you have with Diablo 3, right? Which is probably, probably the issue here, right? It's, like, they need a yep. certain amount of controllability, right? That way they can guarantee that players have a fair shot of, like, achieving their seasonal things. But that also is going to lead to staleness, right? Like, you know, the thing Yeah, and I also think there's a ton of upside to... Okay, so... One of the things that we had to deal with this week was quaking... Uh, it was quaking raging, 
right? Um, and there's a lot of upside to having set affixes inside of a week because it gives each week a kind of build climax behavior. When I'm doing keys early in the week, I'm sort of getting a feel for how the affix is going to interact with certain mechanics, what its timing is going to be like, what are the mobs that are going to get raging that we really have to be worried about, right? Like these kinds of things. And it means that, you know, we did a bunch of Halls of Valor this week just because we ended up rolling into that key a whole lot. Um, and when we did that, it was really impactful to go, holy shit, Actually, you know, we need to worry about raging on this mob specifically because it's going to kill the tank, right? Or this mob, when this mob rages, we have to de-enrage it immediately because he's going to start spamming one-shot lightning bolts that are just going to kill people, right? Um, and having that little progression inside of a week of I'm introduced to the affixes, I get better at the affixes, I finish the week, and I get new affixes. I actually think it's pretty good. I think there's a lot of upside there. Um but I definitely do think that, uh, you know, dealing with some of the same affixes that we've been dealing with for a long time has allowed sort of a crystallization of resentment towards them to sort of build up. Um, and some affixes have kind of been put in the vault. They've been sort of shut away where it's just like, we're not dealing with necrotic. We're not dealing with, um, there's one called overflowing, which was really rough. Uh, overflowing was an affix that says when you overheal a target, they actually get a heal absorb shield equal to the over overhealing. So you had to be really precise with your heals and not overheal people um everybody hated that ethics <laughs> yeah, no, um I, I can see why because like it also like puts the responsibility all on like basically one person right like to handle the mechanic um yeah so i mean I actually to be fair i i think that that's okay i think it, one of the things i think about when it comes to affixes is like what is what is this testing right what skill is this testing and i think that there are good and bad answers to that question right so, for instance, the affix necrotic said every time uh, something auto attacks you, it puts a, a heal debuff that says you, you take 2% less healing, right? Um, and it stacks up pretty quickly in a mob with six guys who are all auto attacking you pretty frequently, right? Um, and the way to do this was you would get your necrotic stacks up and then you would start kiting. And my, my thing with necrotic was it is fair to test a tank's ability to kite. Some tanks are going to have to kite at some times, and having an affix that goes, learn, learn to kite, right, um, I think is actually pretty interesting and pretty and pretty compelling um, and a good way to sort of, uh, like, build build an affix. Um, whereas, I know, I'm trying to think of, what, what do I think is a bad affix right now? Um, I don't know, there was one affix called teaming, which just increased the amount of mobs in the dungeon, um, and it's just like, what am I learning there besides just the pulls are bigger, right? There are just more guys. You just need to AOE them harder. And they eventually pulled teaming out of the rotation, and I think that was a good decision. Um, or actually, a better one was Skittish. Skittish was an affix that said um, uh, tanks generate less threat. Right, so your party needs to control their damage output in order to make sure that a tank is not getting you're you're not out threat you're you're not like pulling taking, mobs taking, off the tank pulling mobs off the tank right if you just unload with your burst AOE kind of cooldowns and eventually we kind of got to a point where it's like you know what that's not a skill that we really want to do that much test aggro management has never been fun in WoW we don't want to we don't want to sit there and like gatekeep a bunch of DPS in order to kind of um, in order to kind of do that. And I think that there are some things that could be tested that aren't. For instance, I really like the idea of um, um, of an affix that makes mobs powerful, like captain 
like yeah, captain is a weird word to use it, but just like um, you can imagine there are certain mobs in the group that make the whole group do more damage and you want to burn out that mob as quickly as you can. That's not something like burst single target damage is not something that's tested in an affix right now. And I think you could design around that kind of a thing, right? And I'm sure that, you know, if I were a WoW designer, I could sit down and we could make a million different things of that, right? Which is, you know, maybe um, when a mob dies, it shoots an orb into the air and someone has to soak the orb or it does a bunch of damage to everyone, right? And so that's a that's a thing of, okay, well, when that when that orb shoots, someone someone calls and coordinates to go soak it, right? Um, or like, I'm trying to think, what are, what are some other examples of things that I would want to test if I was like a, a WoW developer? Maybe a fixate would be, oh no, we already kind of have that with uh, with Spiteful, right? Which spawns these ghosts that kind of like chase you down. But whatever the case may be, there's a bunch of different, there's a bunch of these, right? That you could, that you could sort of design um, and we could sort of say, okay, yeah, I think it's fair to test the DPS's ability to do this, the tank's ability to do that, you know, these these kinds of things. Anyway, um, that's, what I, that's, what I was, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't do a ton of mythics, so I don't have a huge insight into it, but that, that makes, I, I, I get that that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, what else can we talk about? Um, have you, have, with the stuff that you've been watching on YouTube, is any of that like interesting news, newsworthy? Uh, I don't know. Um, let me, let me, let me go into my history. Um, not really a bunch of like home improvement type videos, bunch of <laughs> videos. um do were... you can i so here's a question do you um watch any let's plays like dnd let's plays uh tabletops no i have not watched tabletop let's plays in a long time have you uh no but i am interested i i've been watching a lot of dropout tv which hosts dimension 20 right. yeah no you know, um, i haven't watched one of the dropout that that's the thing that i, I forgot to talk about yeah yeah because yeah. i've been watching i've been watching game Ch like rachel is really into game changer so we're like watching game changer and so, certain of these other episodes um i really like grant anthony o'brien i think he's very funny brandon lee mulligan i think is everyone's favorite yeah, yeah. um including including mine I, I feel like that's a really basic bitch opinion you know what i mean it's like saying iron man is your favorite avenger it's like okay well well, come on, like, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the Survivor episode was kind of wild. Um, what is the Survivor episode for Game Changer? The end of season four, I want to say, is a two-parter that's Survivor with uh, Brendan Lee Mulligan is one of the contestants, and um, he like is almost out the first round, and then he like pulls or like he finds like an immunity charm, and he just like pulls it out of his ass, like like at the moment that it's happening. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah. I really, I, I, he, I, I think the reason I like him so much is that he, I feel like I, you know, people will always say this, I'm sure. I, he mirrors a lot of like my energy. There's moments where I am frustrated, like on his behalf. For instance, have you seen the episode? Yes. Yes or no. Yes. Yeah. 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 The one the, where the, the answer is he's just always wrong. Yeah. 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 Bre yeah. Brennan must always lose or whatever. I was like, it, like the feeling of just like vicarious unfairness was like infecting me i was just like this is bullshit man you know like it's like it's not me obviously but just like i, I maybe it's like the game 
design person in my head that sees the rules being that shitty. Do you know what I mean? That are, um, uh, <laughs> that, that, that's like interesting. Maybe a better example of this is the heart rate episode. Did you see that one? No, I haven't yet. No. Okay. The heart rate episode is hilarious. Um, but it is, it's Brendan Lee Mulligan and two other people who I don't remember because I'm terrible. Um, but basically the idea is that he's try he is trying to get them to spike their heart rate above 20 BPM above what it's supposed to be, right? So, for instance, there's this one part where he just starts, Sam, the host, just starts telling, like, a whole story. And then eventually he just does, like, a jump scare, like, blah! <laughs> and then he reads everyone's heart rate on the screen. And you can see who got, like, jump scared, basically, right? Uh, but the thing, with, <laughs> the thing that he did with Brennan that was pretty funny is he was like, okay, time for the minigame. It's called Name That Bird, right? Um, and he puts up a picture of a bird first one is like a chicken first person says oh that's a chicken um then he puts up another picture of a bird it's a flamingo the person goes that's a flamingo and he goes that's right and then he puts up a picture of a bird and it's like who the fuck has ever seen a bird like this before in their fucking lives and brendan lee mulligan is like uh it's a." Uh, like Amaterasu, and he's like, ooh, the answer is rosate spoonbill. <laughs> Rosates, and it's like, <laughs> and it's specifically targeted towards giving the other two really easy birds and giving Brendan really awful hard birds. <laughs> uh, and he does, in fact, I'm pretty sure he fails that challenge just because he's so angry <laughs> at getting this like super, super unfair, uh, you know, set of questions. Anyway. I don't know. That that stuff is is interesting and funny. It's funny because there are moments in Game Changer where I think it's legitimately uh, clever, and there are moments where I think it's kind of stupid and dumb, but in a really funny way. Like in the way that like someone farting is funny. The Game Changer episodes are funny, um, and uh, and I wonder like what underlies you know some of yeah, that. I mean, some some of it's just like good like. The cast, have you seen, I think it's called Cast Rehearsal, the one where they, like, make a music, basically make a musical up on the spot. Like, it's... And they, welcome to Mountport? Yeah, welcome to Mountport. It's yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched like, that so, one, like, four times. It's, like, so fucking incredible, right? Like, <laughs> they managed to pull it off. Like, yeah. Like, it is so, it is so good, right? Like, that, that's, like, um, the karaoke episode is another one that's kind of in that same vein. It's not quite as good because, like, music... The frame of a musical, I think, makes a little bit more sense because, like, you're kind of like singing it, and like the, the it doesn't the, the sense doesn't always have to fit together quite right, right? It just kind of has to like yep. hit like the musical beats versus karaoke one works pretty well, but like you can tell it like some of it just like wants to be like a musical track instead, but um, like it's incredible. Yeah, it's also funny the the musical episode people spun off and they made their own podcast about improvising musicals um and it's interesting because you can actually tell when you've listened to a few of those how some of the things they're doing are actually not as improvised as you might think because they are um it's like the words in the in the song might be might be different but like the you know the melodies and the, and like the musical phrases that they're using are actually kind of standardized in a way like they're f they're falling into some of these um, which I th which well, I thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean part of that is that like the um the, the musician on stage is the one that's like really kind of like drop, like is like he's doing kind of not necessarily the rote thing but he's kind of doing the you know the uh like 
the thing that like <clears throat> is familiar enough and they just kind of have to fit words to it really which i think is the, yep. the important part yeah yeah but yes no it's it's um i i kind of agree with you there was like there's one episode of Game Changer that I couldn't finish just because it made me so mad. I think I've talked about this before, which was the one. Wait, where, what was it? Um, is like basically bet points on if this thing is real or not, or if this thing. Oh is yes, real. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like <clears throat> like the flaws in that as a game were just like so infuriating me. It's like I can't watch this anymore. Um, but like that's just me being weird. Um, oh, something that I watched. Um, that I thought was interesting. Um, this guy, he's, he's, the channel's called Ahoy, and uh, they do have different videos, but one that they, they've got the series where essentially one of the guys, I think his name is Stuart Brown, goes over the history of a firearm and its depiction in video games. Um, and uh, it's he just did a Barrett 50 Cal episode, which I thought was super interesting. Because, like, I, so, you know, full, I, I consume not a ton, but a fair amount of gun content on YouTube just because I find it fascinating. Gun, guns are, like weirdly simple machines um and uh there's a lot of history to them right like you know every country in the world has developed firearms they've got like a long and storied history and like there's like in in the united states in particular there are like a number of like prominent gun makers uh eugene stoner and um uh i forget his first name john browning maybe uh samuel colt right like and there's a bunch of history there and like you can there's there's stories to be told about all of that um but also kind of like the cultural impact. There's also like um, one of the guys, I think his name's John Ferguson. He's uh, he's a guy at the Britain's Royal Armory. And they'll like basically, you, you, if you spend enough time on YouTube, you'll, you'll see these. Basically, UK GameSpot is like professional, you know, gun historian reacts to guns, right? Like in video games, right? And like it's like him talking. Him being, oh, yeah. I, th- th- all of those videos. I am. I am hook line and sticker mm-hmm. i have gone down so many dumb rabbit holes about those yeah i, I get you for sure yeah or like you know it's it's funny because like they'll show him like a destiny where you'll be like that doesn't make any sense i see what they're going for but like you know this gun obviously it's a fantasy gun right but like um yeah the one that i ended up going down was tank like the the history of tanks and there are these tank es- experts and they have these like top 10 swedish tanks post world war ii <laughs> it's like who the fuck? You're like, who cares? I don't know. I do. I've watched a lot of those videos. Okay. It's also like Titanic videos. Oh my God. My feed is covered in these um, because I just went down this rabbit hole of like shipwrecks and ship sinkings and like the stories of different ships as they, um, as they sank. Um, is this related to the, the Northwest Passage stuff that we talked about at one point? It's not related, but it is, like, part of it. I think that there is just something... So, do you know what uh, thalassophobia is? Uh, It's the fear of, like, the deep water, right? Yeah, it's like the fear of like the endless ocean, right? Like, so one of the one of the best cases of 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 sort of like real thalassophobia is there was a an American couple that was in vacation in Australia, and they went on a um, like a scuba diving trip, and the scuba diving instructor did a count off, and he counted twenty people on the boat or whatever. They drove out there, and everybody was was snorkeling around, scuba diving around this like reef or whatever, a couple miles offshore probably like the Great Barrier Reef, that kind of a thing. Um, then everybody got back on, on the boat, um, and the and the diver instructor miscounts the people on the boat. He counts two people twice. Um, 
And he thinks he has everybody on the boat, and they drive back inland. Um, and they leave two people out there in, in the reef uh, who presumably die. Technically, they, they would be missing, but, like, obviously they're fucking dead, right? Um, there's a movie about this that I can't remember the name of, um, but it, you know, it is, like, the, the horror story. But it's just, you're out there, you're in the open ocean, there's nothing around you for miles and miles. And there are, there is hundreds of feet of water like below you and there's just like something so inherently terrifying about that uh that i can't help but fixate on it and so i'll watch these like titanic you know videos of, or, or, or just like other stuff right like um a big one is like world war ii ships sinking um it's like what is it you know like what does it look like when 460 people on a cruiser you know that gets torpedoed by a japanese submarine that that sinks off the coast of Papua New Guinea, right? Um, stuff like, just like stuff like that. I just like I can't I can't help myself. But it fills my YouTube like the algorithm fills my YouTube recommendations with like all of this you know like all of this shit, uh, which I think is is pretty funny. Honestly, the YouTube video that I've been thinking about most recently um, has been this Big Bear Bald Eagle cam. Um, do you know about the the snowstorm that's hitting um, uh, Southern California right now? No. Yeah, there's like this freak fucking snowstorm that that has hit California. Like mountain the mountains around Los Angeles have snow caps, which is an incredibly weird thing. Um, but uh, in that line of sort of mountains, in this like sort of ridge of mountains, the biggest one of this is called Big Bear. Um, and there is a uh, there is a YouTube live stream of a camera that somebody put at an eagle's um, at an eagle's nest. And because obviously the, the, you know, the, um, the snowstorm is like dumping all of this snow on top of these, on top of these eagles, there's kind of this inherent drama of these two eagles. They have these two eggs, they have, they have eggs and they keep, and they're switching off to make sure like the eggs are incubated. And it's just like, oh my God, the drama is so good. I just can't every, every couple of the first thing I do when I get up is I check in on the eagles to make sure that they're. To make sure that they're okay. If you were to like put on put it on right now, you'd be like seeing. I think he's sleeping. To be honest, he's like completely covered in snow. Right, the whole nest is covered in snow, and the wind is is absolutely insane. Um, anyway, so that's the other YouTube video that I've been obsessed with is the Big Bear Bald Eagle Cam. Something YouTube dropped into my recommendations was um, a guy who like a hobbyist who like disassembles cleans and puts back together watches and it's like i am so fucking here for this like this, oh my god it's called wow. it's called wristwatch revival if anybody else is curious but it's like this is like i like i have at one point like a couple of years ago i like bought like a basic set of like watch making gear like watch tuning gear um and i like diddled around with it a little bit but like it i like didn't get super far in it but like this is like oh Oh, this gives this. This is it. This is what exactly what I want. And maybe I'll go back and actually like take apart like some of those watches at some point. Like, oh, this is great. Um, oh my god, I should show this to my dad. My grandfather, or my sorry, my great grandfather. My my grandfather's father was um, a watchmaker. A watchmaker, yeah. And um, it was it was a big thing in our in our family because we have his old his old tools, which are you would never use them for anything else, and it's this gigantic cabinet of them. Um, and it's really heavy, uh, but my dad has carted it around for 
40 years basically um, from house to house to his apartment in Newark and it is just like these antique tools from the 1900s uh, you know or I guess the early 20th century um, that you know my grandfather used to to repair to repair watches and clocks uh, so Very yeah cool. um, the other one just to mention is once a month uh, say jam say jam's a guy who does um he's like a fgc commentator um he does a thing called will it kill which is people send in a bunch of clips of like combos and the rule like the rules are basically like he he, he shows the start of the combo he pauses it and he says will it kill and he does this live on twitch when i watch the the replays on youtube and it's like you know you bet on whether or not you bet channel points on whether or not you think the the combo will kill or not um, and it's always good fucking fun to watch. Um, it's been like, cause like the first half is like games that I know. And like, I can make some educated guesses about the second half is all like these ludicrous games that are like, um, are you familiar with the concept of like a one touch game or a two touch game? Uh, uh, I guess not. So fighting games can like one way to classify fighting games is the number of touches, um, that you need in order to win the game, right? Like a perfectly executed combo, right? Like, so like something like Marvel vs. Capcom 3 is a very low touch game, right? Like, you know, you get hit once and you're potentially dead just if, if the combo is super well executed. Um, uh, versus like something like Street Fighter is like a five or six touch game, typically, uh, where like, you know, a well executed combo, like you, you can get hit a couple of times before you're, you know, you're at risk of dying from getting hit. Um, uh, some of these, like some of these, like second half games, are like there's there's a couple that have become mainstays, like this game called Kianta, which featured heavily in the last one, which is like a game where like basically one hit and like if you combo it right, you're 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 fucked. Um, and it's also like a goofy looking game, which is part of it. Um, but like so it's like stuff you've never heard of, right? Like it's like um, I think once and it might have been, like in in the middle section they have like clips that, that are too stupid to use essentially. Um, but they, they, there was one that was like the Jimmy Neutron fighting game, and they just like you know just like Sheen like just fucking like like styling on somebody and like they die instantly right like um, yeah sure because like it's kind of like speedrunning where like you know somebody will be obsessive about a game that you've never heard of and never cared about but there's like a community for it type of deal so yeah um, that's been that's been most of my stuff. But uh, unless you got anything else you want to talk about, we are over time, and so we can close it I out. have nothing else I'm, I, I'm looking to talk about. We can cut it. All right. Well, uh, in that case, um, I will say uh, – oh, you can reach – if you want to email us about any of the stuff that you saw on this podcast um, or anything else, you can reach us at subversiveplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at subversiveplaygames.com. You can follow us on twitch.tv slash subversiveplaygames or youtube.com slash at subversiveplaygames where these go out live. Um that's everything I have. But do you have anything you're looking to promote? Uh, I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In that case, I'm going to say, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.